Welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast today with Henning Trill. Hi, Henning. Hi, Jonathan. Well, so first of all, you're the vice president of uh, innovation or innovation strategy at Bayer, the um, huge uh, company that most probably every one of our listeners know. And um, so I'm actually quite excited that we're going to have this uh, podcast because we've already, before I started pressing recording, we already talked for for an entire hour and, uh, you know, time is running, but we have so many interesting topics. And uh, so as usual, um, as, as always, I, I ask you basically, you know, kind of as the first thing to quickly um, explain to our audience where you are coming from professionally, kind of the individual stages um, and, and how you ended up basically of, um, yeah, what you're, uh, what you're doing today and kind of like also a summary of what you do today at the end probably. Really good question. So um, I guess I'm here today because I'm a very curious person. Yeah? Since I was uh, a small kid, I was always interested in like, what's the reason why things uh, happen as they do. So uh, I was interested uh, in, in biology and physics and chemistry um, a lot at school and then also decided to study physics and chemistry um, because it gives a lot of answers to how this planet actually works. Um, and then um, almost finished. Um, uh, so I studied in, in Santa Barbara in California, in Germany, in Münster. And um, just before I finished, I got in touch with, with business to a friend who moved uh, to consulting. And I thought that was also extremely interesting and something completely new. Yeah? If you're uh, um, uh, doing your PhD in chemistry, you, you're totally focused on molecules and then suddenly you learn there's a completely new universe out there. And um, so um, I joined uh, consulting, the Boston Consulting Group to be more exact, which uh, was a fantastic uh, time. Uh, and time flies by extremely quick in this environment, um, which was very much 24 seven by that time. And um, I actually joined a um, startup on lithium ion battery but only for a few months um, when it like didn't really move into the direction um, uh, that I had envisioned before. And uh, that was a great opportunity then to join Bayer, which were um, building up their in-house consulting unit. And uh, I mean, being a chemist in Germany, you know, Bayer, um, Bayer and BASF were like the two big companies everybody wanted to work for. So I was super excited, um, especially not to come in as a, as a chemist naturally, but more as a consultant, so to bring a different skill set. Um, and uh, we built up the in-house consultancy, um, grew it from, I don't know, there were 60 people when I started to about 160 um, a few years later, 2015, when I moved on. And uh, I was responsible for the R&D team there. So we did a lot of projects uh, in the pharmaceutical space and in the agroscience space in research and development. And one of my last projects was around um, the innovation agenda. Uh, what actually uh, inspired by Marian Deckers, the then CEO who wanted to transform the culture um, of, of Bayer um, to be uh, more customer focused and more flexible. And um, uh, also announced Kemal Malik, uh, my then boss to be head of innovation for the company. So I didn't have a role like that before. So there was a lot of focus uh, on this. And then uh, since 2016, we built uh, the Innovation Agenda, which is basically kind of a cultural transformation program, but it also delivers, um, delivers projects that delivered additional revenue uh, for Bayer. And now since the summer, I'm focusing on, um, uh, on innovation strategy, more or less on, on ecosystems. So uh, we're trying to think um, what will be the ecosystems of the future, 
And um, as a pharmaceutical player, how can we kind of collaborate, work together with all the other partners in such an ecosystem uh, to help societies uh, basically have a sustainable uh, healthcare ecosystem and a sustainable agriculture. Yeah, so um, I, I think it's, it's very interesting that you're doing that because first of all, coming from a chemistry background, you know, so I mean, and we talked about this before recording the podcast, we, we talked about kind of AI being specific, you know, domain specific and the importance of domain knowledge. And um, so, but before we delve a little bit more into this, the entire pharma space, um, let's go a little bit more into detail of, let's say, the different topics that you cover, that, that you cover within your unit. Yeah, so um, let's go into the, into the cultural transformation because it is something that is um, uh, mature. So um, the way we, we tackled this, so the, the, first of all, the, the, the purpose was um, to support and enable all employees to innovate in what they do. And the all employees is really important because um, uh, five years back, if you would have asked uh, somebody in the company about you know, um, who does innovation, everybody would have pointed to R&D. And out of the then 100,000 people, about 10,000 were working in R&D. And um, from, from an invention point of, of view, that's absolutely true. But um, already then the board saw that it's not only about new molecules, we really need to leverage everybody uh, in the company to help us uh, innovate on solutions that really help our customers. So um, the big challenge was really to uh, enable uh, everyone to um, contribute to innovation. That doesn't mean that everybody has to become uh, you know, a researcher now and, uh, and create new things, but uh, also contributing means be supportive to projects which are there, which are trying out something new. So the way we tackled this was, um, we had a program called the Innovation Agenda, uh, which had four key uh, pillars, if you want to call it like this. Um, a lot of communication uh, engagement. Uh, we did a lot of events and um, we had a, uh, have a, a platform inside the company where people can exchange on innovation topics. So a lot of awareness creating stuff to mobilize people to, to everybody understanding the importance of innovation and uh, that everybody is part of innovation. And the second one was really to um, to find the right tools and, uh, and methodologies. So we, we looked into lean startup, obviously design thinking, uh, but also into some very fundamental stuff. And we discussed it before, called systematic inventive thinking. Um, it's, a, it's a really great methodology to enable basically everybody to be creative on the spot. And uh, it's, it's great fun. And, um, and it's a tool that even if you're an accountant and you think you're, you will never be creative in your whole life, you, I mean, not to say that some accountant might think that, but everybody can immediately kind of release creativity. So, um, and it's uh, very inspiring. So we, we use that actually also as a methodology uh, in our third pillar, in our innovation network, um, to kind of uh, teach people how to do this and te uh, teach other, other colleagues um, how to creatively solve, um, solve problems. And then um, the, this network is really like the, cool, uh, the, the core code or key connection uh, between um, the innovation need of the company and every employee who has an idea or wants to contribute. We have more than thousand people trained today. I guess like half of them is more or less active um, to be innovation coaches, which is a part-time role. And um, 
they can, if anybody wants to do something with innovation, they can always find an innovation coach in their proximity and talk to the person and learn from her what, uh, what they can do to contribute to the broader uh, innovation ecosystem. And the fourth and, and final pillar, basically, if you want to call it like this, is uh, our kind of our collaboration activity. So um, real engagement around projects that actually result into new businesses. Uh, the Catalyst Fund is one of uh, one of these famous examples, or we created a, a couple of life hubs uh, inside cities. Like this, we have a life hub in Berlin. There's one in Boston where um, we get in touch with the external ecosystem, and project teams can come and uh, engage uh, with uh, customers or um, local scientists, whatever. Uh, they want. So this was the, kind of the whole initiative uh, we started four years ago and um, kind of it, it takes a while to, to build it and, and run it and maintain it. And now it's, uh, it's running and kind of we operationalize it um, in 2020 now. Um, and now we're like my team, we're looking into uh, ecosystems. Right. Okay. So then let's, let's, let's talk about ecosystems, right? So if you're saying like, we're talking, uh, we're looking at ecosystems of the future, Right. So what does that entail ultimately? I mean, you know, we, we, you just talked about, you know, enabling, for example, all types of people in all types of roles, you know, and, and, and departments inside internally of the company to be more innovative. Right. So not just, you know, related to creating new business opportunities, creating new business models, but just also, you know, on a day to day basis, you know, be innovative, like use, use, use an innovative approach to basically how you handle your business. Right. But let's talk about exactly this part so what did the, the um you, you guys looking at innovation ecosystems what, what is it exactly that you guys do there yeah okay if you you look at the, the internal innovation ecosystem um uh, then you basically need to understand who are who are all the players and how can they um contribute and support each other uh, one big challenge inside uh, a large organization is that uh, naturally it's siloed because the large organization uh, has a hierarchical structure like all organizations have, like the military of the Romans, right? So uh, you have some chief uh, role and the chief role has a team and everybody in this team has a team and so on. So this leads to the fact that whenever there is innovation happening somewhere, it's usually inside that part of the structure where it happens. And the, um, uh, the key challenge is to create transparency beyond um, these structures because also the usual communication channels are inside these structures. And we can talk in a little while how you can then copy this into cross-company uh, innovation. But so your key communication channels are inside um, these hierarchical structures. So usually information from one doesn't necessarily get to the others. So one important point in creating the ecosystem is basically um, sharing the idea that everybody is inside this whole larger ecosystem because the natural ecosystem people are looking at are the, the people they interact with on a day-to-day -day base, which is usually inside one of those functional areas. So the important thing is to create a platform like the, the reef in a coral reef, right? So, I mean, um, you have to create the reef so everybody is like on the reef and can see the other, the other people um, uh, on the reef and then also start interacting with them. And then... Um, to create awareness, to find out where are the lags, what is hint, what is kind of stopping innovation from being successful. Um, and the solutions are probably already there somewhere. The magic is in really finding, uh, finding them, connecting them and uh, removing, uh, removing the roadblocks. Um, so th this is how you create it internally. So, I mean, the, the things 
most of the things we did was trying to like connect people cross-functionally, cross-divisionally um, to exchange. And then there is so much exchange going on that uh, they had themselves solving their day-to-day -day problems. But um, of course, if you want to create new businesses on another level, you have to also induce resources because um, solving the day-to-day -day problems you can do with, um, in German, we say Bordmittel. I don't really know the English word for this. Um, so it's with your tools at hand, right? But um, if you want to create a new business, it takes a longer time and you need additional resources. So this is um, internally, we created something called the, um, the Catalyst Fund, uh, which is kind of resources and uh, methodology support for cross-functional teams to drive these new um, uh, business opportunities and explore the business model around them, the customer value proposition, and then really experiment their way um, uh, to success. Um, if you copy the thinking to kind of larger ecosystems, uh, you of course have um, uh, have a lot of very different players, right? So uh, of course, let's say if we look into the, the healthcare space, uh, you have pharmaceutical companies who used to produce drugs who now also start producing um, uh, or collaborating with companies who uh, create digital therapeutics. Definitely they, they produce digital services, um, but also um, a lot of uh, pharma companies have uh, kind of services supporting the diseases like nursing services, um, to, um, to help basically the patients uh, live a better life. But then of course, I mean, you have the whole provider ecosystem with the, um, with the hospitals, with the healthcare professionals um, uh, uh, who kind of are a crucial part in the whole uh, system. Uh, you also have the payers, like all the insurances, um, the regulatory authorities. Um, and then um, what, we, what we see now, and I think this is a fantastic opportunity for kind of first time also with the, at least in Germany, with the regulation now changing, um, uh, having uh, uh, the Elektronische Patientenakte, so electronic um, uh, records uh, of patients, which are hopefully owned by the patient, but can be made, made available from the patient to all the people uh, who can support the patient if they have access to this data. And this will really allow um, a lot of new opportunities and things which go far beyond what the pharmaceutical industry does today. So uh, we, we see like um, thousands of uh, startups um, focusing on uh, kind of narrow opportunities in this space who kind of act like an ecosystem on a coral reef. Like these are all shiny um, fish that have a very specific um, focus and uh, kind of help the ecosystem grow and everybody uh, supports each other. And uh, ultimately, uh, the goal has to be to, to assure that we can have uh, a good healthcare ecosystem as we have today, also in the future, um, and not be overwhelmed by rising costs. Yeah, um, that, is, that is actually very interesting. And I think, I think that, is, that is what you're going to see each other. And you actually made this example, which I found very interesting before we recorded. So I think it would be wiser. It would have been wiser to actually press recording when we already started talking. You made this example with Amazon and um, Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan, uh, where they basically created their own um, their own uh, what was a healthcare health insurance, yeah. insurance company exactly right, uh, and where they basically you know track track all these information about their employees and are you know able to make. Um, you know, already predictions in regards to, you know, or prevent pre prevention, basically, in regards to uh, uh, health problems. And, and I think, you know, uh, and, and I, 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 I'm not really, let's say, 
that up to date when it comes to Germany in regards to these things. I, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of improvement that is possible. But um, if 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 that's going to be possible, you know, to to have actually have this electronic healthcare data, right? To to really let's say be also. You know, I, I actually had a conversation about this not not long ago. You know, the the complexity the complexity behind it because you have multiple parties that are interested in this data, basically, right? So you need a you need to make sure that this data is also you know, um, it's it's possible to basically have it exchange between these different parties, right? For example, you have the insurance company, you have the different doctors that you have, right? So, and and how do you get that? How do you make that happen, right? Do you need a standard for that, right? Does there need to be a standard platform? Uh, within a country or whatever like how do you solve that and it's very complex actually right so yeah, and and it's it's really crucial because it's like um uh, the the data in this ecosystem is like the reef in a coral reef right only if if, if the, the data exists and is available um all these different um kind of businesses uh, can uh, build solutions that ultimately serve uh, the patient yeah. um however data, data is a super sensitive topic because it's like atomic, uh, the atomic force, right? Yeah. You, you can uh, create um, power plants, which is actually, <laughs> that this also can go wrong, but you can also uh, create bombs with it. So um, it's, it will be super important that the, um, the, the data is um, ultimately owned by the patient and uh, the, the patient can make conscious decisions about whom to involve um, or whom give, to give access um, to her data or his data so that uh, the patient can benefit from it. Because obviously you can think of a lot of scenarios where data can be abused um, to uh, give dis disadvantages um, uh, to people. Um, so it, it's really important that um, the, there is a kind of an understanding that the ownership of the data uh, is with the, um, with the patient, but then that the patient can make a decision to make it available to benefit from all the solutions because the, the, the benefit can by far outweigh um, uh, uh, the risks or improve the life situation we have today, yeah. um, and I think this is this is the art. I really like the the um, Amazon example, of course, because Amazon is doing the same what they did with Amazon Web Services uh, when they kind of created uh, this cloud tool internally, made it working really well. So you know this could be a service we offer externally and then spun it out and uh, basically created a whole new industry around this and. Um, now they have this uh, health insurance. If, if I'm rightly informed, it's about 1.5 million people among those companies who are in there and it's all internal and they learn so much about prevention and what really works. And, and they generate a lot of data that might be uh, you know, comparable to, to clinical trial data at some point from a quality standpoint. And then they can of course draw a lot of conclusions uh, and really help their people uh, live healthier, which also um, leads to the fact that you know the, the workforce will be healthier and they will have less uh, sick days, for example, which might be even much more valuable than um, uh, just the the docs the doc, the cost you save um, uh, in the healthcare system itself. So, and once they understand this really well and they will spin it out, then uh, of course um, they they have an ecosystem uh, right there with all the knowledge and the data. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, so kind of looking at the time here, I, I, I would like to actually go into this more in depth, but then again, you know, I, uh, I have to outweigh basically the, the topics of interest here. So um, let, let's talk maybe about some of, because, you know, you've been doing this for a while now, you know, uh, thinking about the different, you know, innovation possibilities for buyer. 
and uh, you know there's a lot of things that we're doing and there's also a lot of things which are very complex you know so let's talk about then opportunities you know so you said for example classical r&d right this was where basically new things were developed so if we now let's say look from this let's say you know from from this more let's say radical perspective right on, on uh, open innovation and, and, and like innovation happening everywhere and, and also from a technology perspective right what is what is kind of the outlook right if we take if we, if we take a if we take a big a giant such as buyer for example right what is kind of the outlook here in regards to opportunities um in in the future and also in regards to technology yeah, so there's, of course, a huge um, spectrum. I mean, I, let's go with something which is uh, very recently um, in the news. Um, Bayer invested $2 billion um, oh, dollars or euros in, uh, in Ask Bio, uh, um, a company basically that uh, builds a business based on stem cells. And stem cells um, are an approach to really heal diseases. And uh, um, right now it's mostly used in orphan diseases, but uh, it's also a very complex approach because it's a very, very personalized uh, treatment, um, but it's a radically new way. And it's, it's a way that really cures diseases. So it's uh, basically a fantastic um, way, not only transforming a deadly disease uh, in kind of a, um, a chronic disease, but really curing it. Um, so um, Bayer has a venture fund called Leaps by Bayer. Um, they also have really cool videos if somebody likes to Google uh, this. And um, Leaps invests in key technology. So uh, with Leaps, we, we look at really transformational technologies. For example, like gene editing, um, also uh, to work on orphan uh, diseases, uh, but also stem cell uh, therapy. We, uh, we built a venture um, based on um, uh, based on stem cell therapy, and we saw it works really well. We can then kind of bought the full venture, and that basically led us now to invest into um, Ask Bio. So we, we really believe that this is an area, a future area, um, which will be very relevant um, in, in medicine. Right uh, on the on the same hand, for example, we are uh, invested in one drop recently through the same uh, vehicle of our Leaps Fund. Uh, one drop is a platform that. Um, uh, supports diabetes patients and it supports them in a really holistic way and uh, our views of course that we can also extend that into um, therapeutic areas where we are very um, uh, experienced in like in the cardiovascular field where our key drugs aspirin for example we are very much known for that um, it's an anticoagulant so it uh, um, it helps to thin the blood um, and uh, it's more than 100 years old and um, of course, it reduces headache, but it also really helps um, your blood uh, to be thinner. And um, this gave us 100 years of experience in, um, in cardiovascular research, for example. And now we want to take this to the next level um, and really not only support the patients with the drug, but really from a more holistic point of view. So I think this is what, what you see. Um, uh, what you see from us, but what you see in the whole industry. Uh, the other big thing that I, I guess is happening is really um, personalized medicine. So um, uh, medicine really based on, um, for example, the genomic profile of a cancer tumor. So instead of, uh, you know, identifying, yeah, this is prostate cancer, and then there are three drugs you can use and which start with this, um, to really do a gene analysis um, of the tumor and understand exactly what mode of action uh, can stop it and then apply exactly that drug that helps in this case. And then of course the success rates are extremely high. We're in the, in the um, 
in the early days of, of this. I mean, maybe the early days are already 20 years ago, but it still, it takes quite a while. If you look at the costs for, for genome sequencing, um, you know, in 2000, that was like $100 billion for the first uh, human genome uh, as a huge project. And now you're at $100. Um, it comes down faster than Moore's law. Um, and uh, I think in the next decade or so, uh, these tests will be you know, cheaply available and done for so many more things than we can even envision uh, today. So the, the whole um, topic of you know, a personalized treatment or just in time, uh, personalized treatments will, will grow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, funny, funny thing that you say that I actually watched the uh, watched the video um, the other day on that in regards to different uh, initiatives and there's even I think an organization that plans to um, to actually map every every person I think or so or test every person. I was like, uh, it, it, it's it's actually very crazy. Like there's there's I think also uh, the UK has like an open source uh, database on that. It's called a uh, biobank I think. Mm -hmm. um, where they basically have all, the, uh, all it's a data set of over, I think half a million or so uh, uh, samples. So um, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see the developments there. And in, in the Nordic countries like Denmark or even Lithuania and so on, um, uh, you know, the, the data, the trust in data is much, much more established um, as here. Yeah. And uh, these, these biobanks exist already for a, for a longer time. Um, and it's, of course, very useful to look at the historic data and have so-called longitudinal data. Yeah. Um, really understand, you know, what happens um, uh, with people who have a certain, you know, genome or genome uh, anomality. Does this actually always lead to something or maybe it has uh, no effect? Um, it's interesting if you think of Moore's law further into the future, um, then eventually at some point, uh, we might have uh, genome sequencing for a dollar or less or a few cents, right? And if it becomes this cheap, you know, it will be no black magic that, you know, every, every genome gets tested, but it's so cheap that um, you just do it and not only your genome, but your, um, your microbiome as well, yeah? On your skin, what kind of um, bacteria, viruses are currently on your skin. And then, I mean, we might use it in completely new ways to do day-to-day -day, uh, treatments, maybe even treat ourselves, right? Um, uh, like, um, yeah, we can't really imagine this today, but if you think what would happen if a genome test is available for one cent, you can imagine so many more uh, business opportunities. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Hey, um, Henning, you know what? We should definitely do a second part because time is, uh, time is running up, unfortunately. We should definitely uh, do a second part in this uh, because there's still uh, so many topics that I think will be interesting to discuss with you. Uh, we're planning a podcast as well with a Harvard professor uh, on, on, on uh, biostatistics where we're going to do a lot also in, in, in that uh, part. So we should definitely plan a, a second one. Ending. But uh, I, follow, I follow that and looking forward to follow up, of course. Yeah, so thanks for being on the show for today and uh, looking forward to do, uh, to do something more in the future with you. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. My pleasure. All the best for the future.